Everybody in California knows that the big one is coming. Uh, you ask every single person on the street, is, is, is a big earthquake coming? Oh yeah, oh yeah, we're like 10 months pregnant. Well, it's all about wildfires in California just now as we're releasing this. But although there haven't been any major earthquakes in the US since Northridge in 1994 in Los Angeles and Loma Prieta in 1989, that was San Francisco, clearly that risk is still on everyone's mind who lives on the West Coast. Uh, this is Matthew Grant, partner at Instec London. And this week, I have another fellow former engineer to talk to, Kate Stilwell, founder of Jumpstart. Now, this is such a great story on so many levels. It's about one person and, of course, our colleagues who has pushed through many challenges to deliver on a vision of providing help to communities after disasters. It's about parametric insurance and practical solutions where this offers coverage not available through conventional insurance. And like all good stories, there's a rescue at the 11th hour when things look doomed. Now, if you're wondering what a parametric insurance is all about, then do look out for a forthcoming report we're going to be releasing, reviewing what's happening in the market for parametric insurance, something that actually has been going on for at least the last two decades, and also the companies we think you should take a look at. It's going to be free to members and free to download in the first four weeks. Uh, and if you want to get a taster for what that's all about, then you can hunt down a couple of articles I wrote on LinkedIn earlier this year. Now, if you're one of our regular listeners, or if indeed this is your first time, well, welcome. And of course, you can find out everything that we're up to and learn about our tremendous partners and supporters at www.instec.london. Uh, and finally, if there's someone you'd like us to invite to join us on a future episode of this podcast, then please do let me know. Matthew Grant on LinkedIn. Kate. Great to have you join us today. I know you've got a lot going on, so thanks very much. Uh, now, you trained as a civil engineer, and in your career, which has been fascinating, you've worked at the intersections of earthquake risk, engineering, risk management, and insurance. And you, along the way, co-founded GEM, which is the global earthquake model, for those who don't know. Uh, you've also built catastrophe models. And then in 2015, you decided to found Jumpstart, which we're going to hear a lot more about in a minute, which but basically you're offering recovery funding to people in the aftermath of an earthquake. So uh, welcome. Very glad you could join us. Thank you. Really glad to be here. Now, of course, as you're based in California, uh, earthquakes are always in the back of your mind. But just now, you, I'm sure you and, and your family are wondering what's happening with the, the wildfires. Have you been personally affected by them? Thank you so much for asking. We are safe and our community is safe. The wildfires are far away, but the smoke certainly is affecting the whole state and um, it's bothersome and it's a constant reminder of the, the natural cycle of, of the habitat here in California. Yeah, so we'll, we'll touch on that later on, but I mean, earthquake, of course, as well. I mean, there haven't been earthquakes for, I guess, almost, almost 20 years in California, at least certainly not any that have been very significant. Um, but earthquake insurance is still very expensive in California. There are lots of exclusions. But if, if starting up a, a company to provide, and I know it's not exactly insurance, but essentially you are not providing financial protection is a big challenge. So what was it that sort of motivated you back in 2015 to, to launch Jumpstart? It started from being a structural engineer, which I went into in order to solve this big, scary, intractable problem of how do people stay safe and recover after earthquakes? 
because earthquakes come as a surprise. They can be devastating at a very large scale. And then when Hurricane Katrina happened, I realized I had a professional crisis. I realized safe buildings are so important, but they're not enough in order to help uh, initiate the recovery process. And a big missing gap is money because there's not, enough, not gonna be enough money coming into the system from the private market after a natural disaster. And so I was inspired to find ways to use the private market to help jumpstart the economic recovery at individual levels and at community levels. And that was really the inspiration. And, and this is really about, you know, it's not so much this sort of trying to replace insurance, it's more about providing funds sort of very quickly after events happen to help people with some of their short-term needs. Is that, is that right? And that's hence the name Jumpstart. Hence the name Jumpstart, yes. Thank you for uh, making the connection there. Not everyone does, but uh, yes, the idea is to provide um, almost like insurance for life disruption. And it is squarely an insurance product. We did structure it as an insurance product, even though parametric is not always thought of as insurance. Yeah, I mean, and for those who don't understand parametric, do you, do you mind just giving a, a very quick sort of definition of how parametric works? And we'll talk a little bit about specifically how it works for, for Jumpstart. Sure. The idea is that a lump sum of money is transferred immediately after the occurrence of an event that has a specific data metric thus parametric. Okay, well, that's probably the most uh, efficient description I've, I've heard of it. Thank you. We'll capture that and, and reuse it. Okay. So, so for your, for your clients, uh, can you just sort of talk through how this works in practice? If I've got a home in, in California, how would I purchase protection from Jumpstart and how would that help me after an earthquake? Sure. Yeah, so it's a direct-to-consumer offering, and you can go to the website. It takes four minutes to sign up, whether you're a renter or a homeowner. And then after an earthquake that causes severe shaking, according to the U.S. Geological Survey shake maps, these are color-coded maps that everyone in California is familiar with. If you're in the, the red zone, the severe shaking zone, then you are eligible to receive a $10,000 payment. And we send you a text message that says, you were affected by this earthquake. Please reply if you expect to experience $10,000 or more of extra expenses or loss as a result of this earthquake. So then they reply and we initiate the payment that same day that they reply. So it can be that the payment can occur the, the next day after the earthquake, as soon as the next day. Okay, it's really interesting. And, and that point about if you're in the red zone on the map, so that's literally there's a linkage between the red on the map and then somebody's geographical location that you can use to define if they've been affected by the earthquake. Absolutely. So our technology plugs into the open data from the U.S. Geological Survey and does an automated overlay, geographic overlay of the customer location versus the, the shaking intensity data from the USGS. I guess one of the advantages you've got, unlike some other parametric indices, is your data is, is completely free. I guess it's completely verifiable isn't it so you, you you've got a technology to build in terms of distribution and selling it and you've got a technology to build in terms of the claim but you've certainly been helped by something that's already in existence and as you said you know probably all of your customers or prospective customers are familiar with the usgs maps exactly and that's actually really a critical point maybe a slightly nuanced but very critical for bringing parametric to consumers and as you could tell from the, the origin of why I started Jumpstart, it was really important to me to bring 
a mass market product that was accessible, really widely accessible to a large swath of the community. And in order to make that credible and uh, trustworthy, we really needed to choose a trigger, a piece of data that was publicly available and transparent and free and open. And I guess one of the challenges of selling something like earthquake insurance, where most people won't have been affected by the fact, you know, it's such a long time since there's been any major events. A lot of people moved to the Bay more recently. I mean, how are you finding people's own sort of risk awareness or risk sensitivity to earthquakes, given that they happen, haven't happened? Is it still something that people think about or is it, is it still quite, is it quite difficult to convince people they need something like Jumpstart? Everybody in California knows that the big one is coming. Uh, you ask every single person on the street, is, is, is a big earthquake coming? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We're like 10 months pregnant. And so the awareness is high. The um, sense of urgency is not always very high. But every time there's a small little jolt, which does happen probably once a month in any given location, people remember that they're in earthquake country. Well, it's a useful marketing tool for you, isn't it? If they can forget about it, they get a jolt and they, uh, I guess if you're you can kind of line up the insurance on the back of that. But the, so the, the current insurance for California, so you've got the, uh, the California Earthquake Authority that offers some coverage. I know it's expensive and it's not very comprehensive. Uh, and I guess the private market is also covering insurance. Either. But can you, can you just talk a bit about what the alternatives are for people if they, if they want to get coverage, if they, if they don't use Jumpstart? You know, what, what else are they doing? Sure. So first of all, earthquakes are explicitly excluded from renters' policies and homeowners' policies in California. And if you want to add earthquake coverage, you have to add it as a separate endorsement. And there is a requirement that any renters or homeowners uh, insurance companies have to offer an earthquake endorsement. They don't necessarily have to, the the insureds don't have to buy it. Um, The earthquake coverage typically doubles and sometimes triples the cost of the renters or homeowners policy. And the, at least for the case of earthquake homeowners, the deductibles, a standard deductible is 10 to 15%, which for a California home is in the hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so it really is catastrophic coverage when you think about it that way. Um, So it appeals to folks who uh, have enough equity in their home that they feel like they can't afford not to have catastrophic coverage. Jumpstart is kind of the opposite mindset of that. It's really just the first layer of protection as opposed to the worst case scenario. Okay, got it. And so for the $10,000 coverage, what range of cost is that for somebody on an annual basis? The premium is an average of $20 per month, and that varies by zip code. The the lowest premium in California is $11 a month, and the highest is $33. Okay, okay. So it's sort of absorbable, I guess, if that's the word. Um, but it must be a challenge selling it. I mean, that's always a difficulty for people, whatever kind of insurance is, is distribution. So you mentioned earlier about going to the website, but how, how do you get the word out that you're doing this and encourage people to learn about it and, and take it up? Yeah, a great question. I mean, in a direct-to-consumer um, mindset, an insurance is always a grudge purchase, right? Um, especially non-mandatory insurance. But pe- there are moments in time when people are, are motivated to think about it. As I said earlier, after they feel a small jolt, um, on anniversaries of large earthquakes, um, and then life moments, moments in life, one, when they're moving house, when they're buying a house, when they're renting an apartment, and when they're starting a job. So being able to tap into those moments in their life is really critical to being able to bring the Jumpstart offering and put it in front of them. And then what about partners? Do you have people out there that are helping you 
get visibility into it or help you sell it? For distribution, yes. Um, our, partners, our partner strategy is really focused on those two uh, groups that I mentioned earlier, rental and relocation, as well as employee benefits when they start a new job. And the types of partners that we're seeing the most traction from are those with uh, technology platforms uh, for having a direct integration opportunity with our open APIs. Okay. So, I mean, can you, can you name any specifics of organizations you work with uh, or sort of where they come into the, the sales play process? Well, I'm very happy to mention that we are uh, working with the largest uh, wholesale distributor of employee benefits and maybe even the largest wholesale broker in the world, which is Amwins. Amwins is working with us in multiple capacities um, and they could not be a better partner. Fantastic. Oh, it's really good to know when there's a sort of connection between the the traditional uh, insurance and broking and intermediary organizations. Uh, and then in terms of actually payouts, have there been, there have been situations where you've yet gone to, gone to red on the, uh, on the earthquake map and, and anyone's got a payout? Yes and no to the two separate questions. Yes, there have been three earthquakes since we launched that created this red zone, this payment eligibility zone. Uh, but no, we have not made any claims. The three earthquakes are all in Ridgecrest, California, which is in a rural area um, in Southern California, far from any urban area. Uh, the, the first two of these earthquakes happened in July of 2019. And we didn't have any customers in the red zone at that time, at the time of those earthquakes. Uh, we do now. The third earthquake, which was also in the Ridgecrest area, had a very small, it was an aftershock. It had a very small red zone that was only in the desert area and it didn't cover the, uh, the area with where the residents live. But the, the upside is those events caused us to test the system and the system works. Right. So you've got a zero loss ratio. You've had a pilot study and uh, I think yes. everyone, <laughs> to some extent, everyone wins. Everyone's happy if you don't have a loss. Uh, it, it seems like the, the perfect business, but well, you make it, you know, you, you talk about it very eloquently now. It, I don't want to put this wrong. You make it sound very easy, but it wasn't. I mean, you had a, you, you've had a difficult time along the way. It's, I mean, it's a big step to move out of paid employment to, um, to launch the business. But I mean, can you, can you just talk about some of the challenges you had and how you overcome them? I think it's a great lesson for other people out there. You know, you've got a great idea doing social good and just, just keep going and inspired by the vision. And I think you found some good partners, but yeah, I'd love to hear some of the stories of what worked along the way. Oh, thank you for asking. Yeah. You know, I'm, uh, if it's not already clear by now, I'm a very mission driven uh, entrepreneur. I'm not a mercenary entrepreneur. Um, but nevertheless, the opportunity for parametric is not just one of, the, of a social good, it's one of a market opportunity as well. Uh, however, as a new product category, or specifically if we're targeting it towards consumers, it's a long, long road. It, it's going to take some patience and the, the capital that we've uh, raised, the operational capital that we've raised is from very patient investors at this point in time and, and solely angels uh, with the exception of uh, participation from InsureTech Gateway, which I'm very happy about since they're a big supporter of Parametric. But I'd say that the biggest um, challenge is, um, was and has been um, finding the capacity because uh, the capacity partner has to have the appetite for taking the risk of bringing, uh, uh, taking the regulatory and the reputational risk of bringing this new product category to consumers. And we did work, as it's pretty well known within the industry, we did work with, we had a false start with one capacity provider, uh, having worked shoulder to shoulder and developed some really great working relationships who um, that relationship didn't work out in, in 
the very last minute. Um, but we ended up with a capacity provider uh, through Lloyd's, one of the syndicates there, that turned out to be the knight in shining armor on the white horse. They could not be a better partner, not just because of the risk capital, but because they have a really collaborative partnership mindset. And I think you found your white, is your white horse or your white knight? At, uh, <laughs> Thank you, yes. <laughs> if you want me to name names but he's, i think he tweeted about it and in SureTech connect you explained the concept and you went and he kind of was able to deliver some capacity for you literally at the 11th hour is that is that right sure sure so we ended up spending our very bottom dollar getting our our shake trailer our, our truck our, our earthquake simulator to insuretech connect in 2017 and uh we had hundreds of people riding through it and experiencing an earthquake. And one of the people who rode in it then tweeted after and said, the best thing at this conference is the jumpstart shaker. And uh, it ended up being Will Thorne at Channel Syndicate. And who ended up being our partner who stepped in after, uh, after the false start is Channel Syndicate owned by SCORE. And we could not have asked for a better partner just in terms of the collaboration and the partnership mindset. Um, and we really, we really struck gold with uh, with will thorne and with channel it just shows doesn't it sometimes you just got to spend that last dollar on a dramatic move and uh, a lesson for everybody uh, i guess it either makes you or break you in your case it certainly um gave you that next in influx of capital so well, congratulations and congratulations to the channel syndicate for supporting you i just want to go back to that that's a starting point i mean as you as a founder how did you make that jump from working for others to deciding you're going to build your own business in a sort of practical way and i i get the kind of vision side of it but there's a lot to be done for practical and the risk taking and the personal financial cost of starting a business up being driven by by mission and having it be my life's work and the culmination of all these different dimensions of where I've been taking my career and, and having all those come together is what keeps me motivated and what keeps me, me going, even though it's a, it's a long road. So what are the lessons you've got then for people that are thinking about starting out a business? I mean, what are, this, what are the most important things to get right up front to save pain later on? Great question. And I think that having a set of guiding principles is really what one of the things that sort of kept me going in the dark days, knowing why um, we're doing what we're doing. Um, we founded as a, a benefit corporation, which is a for-profit organization, but which has a specific public benefit. And the public benefit is to multiply economic stimulus after a natural disaster. And so that principle actually has helped us many times guiding us in making decisions, not just keeping our motivation up, but um, for example, making a decision between whether to, who, who should be the first target market? Who should be, how should we go to market? Should it be a $100,000 parametric payout for high net worth individuals? Or what, where we ended up was this $10,000 product for as a mass market product. That and the reason we did is that it gets money to more people because it's a product that's accessible to more people. So having that sort of North star um, is, is one of the things that really kept us going. And, and were you able to test the market out? I mean, even just if it's just doing um, sort of simulated adverts to see if people would take up a higher product or how, how did you test it before you went out? Because clearly there's a lot of difference between what you're going to charge and the market you're going after. You want to get that right before you commit real money to the product or your, uh, your marketing. Yeah. If, if you, in case you're not familiar, in the States, it is strictly prohibited to market or to um, be promoting an insurance product that does not yet exist. 
So um, one of the things that added to our, our timeline and uh, in getting to launch was trying to find ways to do that market research without actually promoting or marketing a product that is not yet available. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't realized that. So you say if anybody's building a product, they can't test it in the way that people might do elsewhere with Facebook right, ads. Exactly. And then I guess you had that other challenge where there was a, there was a, a risk that you could have been seen as gambling if it wasn't specifically connected to the loss. Like you mentioned earlier on how people have to then text you back and say, I've had a loss. But was that one of the challenges you had to overcome as well with, with the parametric offering? Yeah, we had to, um, we didn't have to, but we, because we are surplus line, but we engaged early and engaged often with the California regulator because we wanted all the consumer protections of insurance for this product. And so our first meeting with them we emphasize the mutual goals that Jumpstart has with the, the Department of Insurance, which is to get a layer of protection to more residents and to get more money flowing into the system to help speed up the recovery process. And um, it was through collaboration with some of the folks in there that we decided on a, a $10,000 payment as, instead of twenty or 30000 And we took many, many precautions to ensure that customers really understand what the product is, but also what it isn't. It's not a substitute for the indemnity type insurance. You mentioned there you're, you're a surplus lines market, so you're, you're basically non-admitted, which means the, you, know, you don't have to file rates. Is that, is that right? Correct. We don't have to file the, the, the premiums in advance. Uh, we do have to file the surplus line filings after the fact, and we have to go through extra disclosures at the time of the sale. Okay. Uh, and then just on parametrics more broad, I mean, when you were looking at this back in 2015, I mean, there are a few examples of parametric insurance being used mostly in agriculture, but most of the ones would have been on the large catastrophe bond type parametric covers. So that was quite a bold step as well, taking it from, you know, what were some hundreds of millions of dollars of coverage for essentially reinsurance or retro coverage down to this much more localized basis. I mean, did you get inspiration from anything else that was out there at the time? Yeah, good question. Um, so I told you about my professional crisis um, of how I got here, but I took that idea of, okay, how do we get more money into the system into business school? And that was in 2006, right after Katrina. Um, and that's when I first learned about catastrophe bonds. And my thought process at the time, I remember very specifically asking my instructor, why don't we have micro cat bonds for individuals? Well, fast forward to 2015, we all have these little supercomputers in our pockets. The uh, technology was finally available, and it was really just a matter of whether the appetite was available among the risk capital providers. Oh, yes, that's really interesting. So, I mean, it's an idea that, like a lot of things, it needs a technology to go and support it. Without a technology, it would be really difficult, almost impossible to do it. But when the technology comes along... Yeah, then you then got a, a better runway. I know it's still not easy to go and do it. And, and then we talked about wildfire earlier, but it, are, are you looking at potentially expanding what you're doing with Jumpstart to other perils? I mean, wildfire would seem to be a, would seem to be a natural uh, step from earthquakes. Maybe. Uh, the, one of the issues with parametric is um, making sure that the customers understand any potential overlap in coverage. So for now, wildfire is still uh, covered under a regular renters and a regular homeowners policy. And so if a homeowner receives a jumpstart payout, for example, if there was an evacuation mandate and then their house did catch on fire and they did have uh, damage, then they would have to subtract out their jumpstart payment from the amount that their insurance covered and let, or do some sort of fancy accounting or reconciliation to uh, account for the jumpstart 
star was used to pay for this, which is excluded from, and so the complication of that really undermines the whole principle of simplicity that parametric represents. Okay, that's actually a really helpful distinction. And then just talking more generally about parametrics, uh, well, I guess one question I should have asked with the basis risk, I the difference between the loss and the payout. I mean, that for situations where parametric insurance is intending to replace traditional insurance is, is quite an issue. The way you're doing it, I'm assuming that the, the idea of basis risk matters less to your clients because they're getting a payout that they wouldn't have had before. And it's, as you said earlier, it's there to help them in the immediate aftermath of the earthquake. It is, I mean, is that, is that generally the case? And are people reasonably confident that the parametric structure will, will work and, they'll, and they'll, they'll get a payout? I mean, do they, or do they worry about you know, the smart contracts or anything else in the background not working and, and they're therefore not getting a, a payout? So our customers understand the shake maps, they understand the data, they understand that it's only $10,000. And not a single one of our customers has mentioned the phrase basis risk. It's talked about in the insurance industry a whole lot. But with the dollar amount so low, uh, it's very obvious that this is not a substitute for your uh, your regular insurance. In fact, we've had a lot of customers who, actually most of the, the customers who give us this feedback are on the telephone and they call us and they say, I'm looking for earthquake insurance. Can you give me a quote? We give them a quote and it's surprisingly low. And then they ask us to describe it. And we say, it's we, we need to be very clear. This is a, a flat lump sum, $10,000 payment. Wait, so it doesn't cover if my house falls down? <laughs> no, it does not cover if your house falls down. It, but you get that you can spend the $10,000 on any part of you, the rebuild that you want. Well, okay, that's that's not what I'm looking for. And that's great news for us. It means that the customers are not misunderstanding, even customers who want spoon-fed information over the phone. So you are doing telephone sales because I would have thought at the level of the premium or, uh, or whatever the right term is, it would be hard to justify uh, an individual on the phone. But is that, or is that as part of making sure you're learning what's happening and at some point you move to sort of more of a digital sales process? We're not doing any outbound calls. We do have a, a business phone number. And so some customers, when they find us, they, they want to call us. They want to talk to a person. Okay. So you, yeah, it's interesting. So you're still, still doing some of the learning, but you're not tying yourselves up in costs. And, and then as you look at you more broadly out there, what other types of parametrics do you, you think are interesting now that are you know, sort of evolving, uh, whether it's natural disasters or indeed anything else that might be offering cover for what previously had been considered hard or uninsurable? You know, the most exciting thing about parametric is that unlike anything else, it has this enormous potential to cover uninsured risk at scale. And so really, there's so much uninsured risk out there. It's like triple or, or 10 times the amount of risk that is insured. Um, so it's not just natural disasters. It's pandemic. It's terrorism. It's uh, political risk. It's um, cyber uh, and other internet um, uh, risks. And so I just love being at the, the forefront of this really nascent opportunity to um, uncork this, the, what could be an enormous market that could, that could be bigger than the insurance property and casualty market is worldwide today. And also fulfilling a social imperative to shorten the gap of uninsured risk to provide a first layer of financial liquidity in a time of great need for a lot of people. I think that is the piece of it that is looking like most likely to be successful in the short term. It's exactly that. It's not just the gap, but it's also fulfilling the social need. Is you know, there's some quite interesting happen things happening? I'm sure you've been following what 
global parametrics are doing with you know, the whole idea of some different ways of looking at disaster financing and you know, ways of doing risk mitigation. You can't do it for earthquake until someone figures out how to forecast an earthquake. But you know, that idea that if the hurricane is about to make landfall, you can provide payout to help people protect their homes or just, just get out of the way. I mean, there's some really interesting things happening there as the, I think as the interest is, drive, is driven and I think also as governments and things get more flexible about how they're providing money up front as opposed to post-law. So yeah, a really, really fascinating time. Absolutely. One of our biggest advocates has been Daniel Kanuski, who was formerly at FEMA, and he was the second-in-command deputy director of all of the Federal Emergency Management Association in the U.S. And uh, he says, people need to understand that the public aid is going to be too little too late. People need to reduce their reliance on public aid. And Parametric is one of those solutions that delivers on affordability and timeliness so that the losses from a natural disaster don't get even worse during the time delay before the FEMA money comes in. Yeah, no, this makes so much more, so much sense. Uh, and then as you sort of look ahead, uh, anything you can share with us about what's going to happen in the future with uh, the Jumpstart? Oh, thank you for asking me. I'm so excited about where we're going. Just last Friday, this past Friday, we met with the uh, Oregon Department of Insurance uh, to introduce what our, um, we're ready to go in Oregon, but we want to collaborate with the Department of Insurance first to see if they have any feedback or comments. And um, at the end of the meeting, the uh, innovation uh, leader said, Kate, don't you remember a year and a half ago, you presented to the Oregon Seismic Safety Public Action Committee. And I said, oh yeah, that was great. She said, we've been waiting since then for Jumpstart to come to Oregon and we just can't wait to give this uh, innovative product to Oregonians to, so that they can be more protected in the case of this really severe disaster. And so very excited about that. We're also working with a, um, a nascent um, organization in New Zealand to bring parametric to parametric for earthquake to the residents of New Zealand who do have a, a really severe earthquake in their recent memory. So those are two examples that are really um, coming up very fast and uh, not too long in the future. We're looking forward to exploring whether or not there are other natural disasters, particularly flood like earthquake is excluded from most homeowners and there's a huge uninsured gap. And, you know, one of the other insured tech gateway startups, Flood Flash, is a really interesting potential collaboration partner to help bring flood to the United States. Yeah, no, fantastic. I mean, they're sticking uh, sensors on the side of people's buildings and they've also got a catastrophe modeling background as well and, and uh, yeah it's a small it's a small community out there if you can tap into it it's obviously got some great opportunities and well I mean, I've asked you lots of questions but is there anything I haven't asked you that I should have asked you or, or anything else you wanted to add before we uh, let you get back to your day? Well I think the the one comment that I, I'd like to make is um, and it's sort of a question which is you know there's a lot of um, innovation around parametrics um, that apply to the larger scale transactions and the, and the movement of the data. Um, and I think that one interesting opportunity that I'd love to hear your perspective on is um, what is the, what are the up and coming solutions that target a more mass market distribution of parametric? What are you seeing out there? I mean, you touched on it about this scale issue. So, mm -hmm. the, and, I, and I, I was just now, to me, you know, the biggest opportunity for parametric is around the pandemic. And mm -hmm. you know, we could talk a lot about can the insurance market, does it have the capacity to be able to provide coverage for that? I mean, I, 
and this number is not necessarily based on any real science other than the sort of scale you might get in a bad catastrophe year of a, about a $250 billion loss. Mm-hmm. So you know, if, the, if the market was reserving for that and therefore you knew at some point it's going to have to pay out as opposed to it was just ex- including it in coverages that were already there and couldn't charge any more for it, then I've got to believe that, that you know, it's not going to get there in the first year, but there is a potential for the insurance industry to step in with you know, various different government backstops and pools and things to be able to do that. And I think that offers a great opportunity for parametric to be able to come in, uh, not necessarily the whole solution, but uh, you know, as part of the solution. I think that's one area. But I think you know, we touched on this a little bit. I think this idea about uh, a small payment that helps with a top-up and floods, again, you know, it seems to me is still the big unknown, uncovered, well, sometimes uncovered peril in the US and actually in the UK and that's the rest of the world. So I think that the opportunity is definitely there. And it's just, I mean, I think people should look at what you've done and realize that if there's perseverance with a strong community of partners that can do it and figure out the distribution. And I, you know, I frankly, I think if someone like Lemonade can be getting hundreds of millions of dollars of investment for uh, between you and I and everyone else that's listening, you know, essentially it's a marketing play. You know, it's got some mm-hmm. interesting tech, but but really, if you know, if someone gave you hundred million dollars to go and market a year plus another three hundred million to invest, you know, we'd all be talking about parametrics. So I think it's partly just getting people's appetite and understanding and recognizing all the wonderful things it can do um, that will open this up. But it does it does need some evangelists in there, I believe. And the Shortech Gateway, you know, are really doing a great job and tackling some really tough problems with this. And you know, I think it just needs more organizations like that to. To an anthemist, I should mention they're also you know, in this space as well. Um, but I just think it needs people to be a bit more creative about their thinking and, and actually support some of these ideas that are really going to make a big difference. So, um, yeah, I think watch the space. You know, I think there's a few starting to, starting to evolve, and we're releasing a report on this uh, next month, which of course you're in, um, just tracking a few of the other companies we find that are doing some interesting things. Plus, of course, you know, the organizations that have been doing this for 20 years, you know, like Swiss Re and Munich Re and Aon and others that you know really know their stuff and are, are actually are prepared to invest in it so you know i think it's going to be a combination of external investors plus more support from the, the traditional insurers and reinsurers that really know you know really know what's out there and are prepared to back up their business views and also i think their sort of environmental social governance input as well i love the, the wave that we have caught and i um i can't wait to keep riding it Oh, well, I think you created the wave, Kate. I think I'm not quite sure what a wave creator is, but whatever it was, I think it's you and now you're riding it. So, well, congratulations. And that's been, been really interesting learning a lot about you. I've been watching what you've been doing with great admiration for the last five years. So, you know, well done for creating the wave. And I look forward to uh, following the success, maybe catching up in a year's time to see how things are going. And, and finally, I guess if anybody does want to contact you or learn about Jumpstart, what's the best way to, to track you down? Sure. You can uh, contact me at... My email address, which is kstillwell at jumpstartrecovery.com. And you can go to our website, which is jumpstartrecovery.com. And uh, also contact me on LinkedIn. I love getting in touch with people and uh, furthering the mission to bring coverage to more people. Okay, that was brilliant. I think I can let you, let you get back to all the things you got going on. Really, really tremendous to hear everything that's going on and the enthusiasm. I'm really impressed. Okay. What can I add to that? Definitely worth keeping an eye on Jumpstart and we'll put Kate's details and Jumpstarts on the website and the episode notes. Now, Kate did also mention that Jumpstart is part of InsureTech Gateway. And if you want to learn more about what they're up to, then I thoroughly recommend my interview with co-founder Stephen Britton from episode 
102 and released recently. Uh, also, if you'd like to learn a little bit more about Global Parametrics, the company that is providing disaster financing and support for the protection gap around the world, then we are doing a live chat with them on the 1st of October. You can either sign up for that if you get this in advance or if you've already missed a date, don't worry, you can download the recording. Well, that's it for now. Back again next week.